0: Welcome to the Chronically Living and How to Make the Most of It podcast. I'm Kelsey Harris, a chronic pain warrior, here to inspire hope and strength to the Spoonie community. Get ready to lift each other up and find ways to live the best life possible. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Chronically Living. Today, my guest is a disability advocate and blogger who is here to talk to us about living with cerebral palsy. Tylea Flores, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, So we actually just recently started following each other on Instagram um, because we've both been following Ashley Jacobson, who I recently had on. Um, uh, She is so awesome. Um, I love how easy it is to connect with others on Insta. Um, And I know you have a very active online presence on several social media sites. Um, What do you like most about the online
1: community? I like that you're able to connect with others with your same condition and spread awareness about the message that you're trying to spread in a positive way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Me too. I think I think just the connection is so
1: nice. And for the record, Instagram is my favorite place. Is it? Yeah, because you just post a filter, a picture, and you're done.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) A little less effort than some of the other sites, right? Exactly. Nice. Um, So I'm going to be honest. My experience with cerebral palsy is pretty limited. Um, So my dad's cousin had it, um, um, and I'm sure there's other people listening who also don't know much about it. Um, So can you tell us what cerebral palsy is and then maybe give us an overview of your experience growing up? Well,
1: do you want the funny term or you want the medical terms? I'll give you both. Whatever you want to give I, us. Well, usually I give people both. Cerebral palsy is caused by lack of oxygen or premature birth. So I was born six months early. Wow. And I only weighed two pounds, three ounces. said I would never make it. And Here I am today, twenty five years later, still stomping on CP. And the funny term is, well, I wanted to come out early, so I got a special surprise with that. I forgot to. Amazing. Um, I forgot to cancel my subscription, so there. Um, and what what have your experiences been like, um, growing up? My experience growing up, I don't like to focus on the negative too much, but I would say having cerebral palsy has taught me a lot and it just feels like I've been on an adventure. I did face a lot of bullying growing up. I I had to deal with a lot of antagonists growing up and a a lot of negative nillies along the way because you're going to deal with that, but I've overcame that and I've been able to use that to be the reason why I advocate for cerebral palsy. That's amazing.
0: Really inspiring. Thank you. Um what are some
1: of the main challenges that you you face? The main challenges that I face are dealing with the stereotypes because people with cerebral palsy have we face a lot of misconceptions daily and a lot of people don't have awareness about cerebral palsy like for example the different types of cerebral palsies that we have it varies from person to person and not everyone's the same. Mm. So um. That's a stigma that I always have to like be innocent because whenever I'm out in public, people staring, I'm like, hi, my name's Talia Flores. I'm 25 years old and I have cerebral palsy, but can I order a pina colada, a Light, and, you know, a strawberry daiquiri, you know? <laughs> and they look at me like, can I have that? I'm like, I'm like, yes, I'm 25. I think it's all it." it it, the hardest part for me is having to constant. Yes, I'm. I have CP, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so. Stereotype. In my own way.
0: Right. Um. And how do you like? How do you deal with that kind of stereotype?
1: Yeah. You know. You know how I deal with it? Making a joke out of it, or just educating, just educating the person on cerebral palsy. You know Mm -hmm. because if I could change the in if I could change how somebody else views cerebral palsy great right you know that's fantastic I've done my job as an advocate yeah for sure
0: um you mentioned that there's like varies a lot from person to person can you give us
1: like an example maybe okay so let's say a person with that has cerebral palsy gets diagnosed with the mix they could get up and they could get up and walk, but me, that I have spastic cerebral palsy and it affects the one side and my mobility because that side of the brain didn't get enough oxygen when I was first born. Then that person with CP could walk and I can't, but yet I'm considered the most severe case. Oh but there's some ki- there's some people with CP that have, uh, they could pass away at any given moment. They can't communicate they have to use a feeding tube versus me I just have the full effects of having cerebral palsy I don't have like all those complications although epilepsy does like to join in every so few years but I got lucky with that aspect so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so I see what you mean like there's a big range of of how severe it can be for different people
1: yeah, exa- exactly.
0: Um, one of your blog posts, because I was going through your blog, um, was about uh, how the medical community doesn't actually know a lot about CP. Um, can you tell us some, some of your experiences with that?
1: Oh my God. Do you for me to rate like the worst to the best? It, the The best story I ever had. I had to be about 17 years old. And at this point, I was used to going to doctors and this doctor, she was like the Grinch. She was like the Grouch. And my therapist had warned me about her. I'm like, I'm going to have so much fun with this lady. We get to the doctor's office. She's examining me and she goes, oh my goodness, this is the worst case of cerebral palsy I've ever seen in my 30 years of living. I said, well, ma'am, if this is the worst case of cerebral palsy you've ever seen, may God bless you because I'm sure there's someone out there worse than me and if this is the worst case that you've seen at least I'm living very true (laughs) And, and then and then she goes to examine my legs and she's like oh my god this is the worst case of the disease I've seen I said um doc I hate to inform you I don't know where you got your information when it came cerebral palsy is a condition it's not a disease now it used to be called little's disease was founded by dr william john little because they thought it was a disease but then when they found out that it had more to do with brain movement that's when they changed the name in the 1800s and you can google this wow and he was a doctor from he was a doctor from london And he founded cerebral palsy and they called it Little's disease to like give him props or give him credit. But after doing research for several years, they discovered, wait a minute, we probably gave this condition the wrong name here. That's really
0: interesting because it is good to differentiate between condition and disease. And I think a lot of people forget to do that, right?
1: Yeah, a lot of people do. And they're like, and even in the dictionary like the other day I was working on, on my book dictionary it says cerebral palsy is a disease and I'm like no I definitely have to write these people to change it yeah for sure yeah because that, that because that's going way back to the stigmas mm mm-hmm. yeah way back
0: um yeah that's i mean and and the fact that doctors also don't
1: really seem to know is
0: it concerning right
1: Yeah, it's really scary. And we rely on these doctors to help us. Another experience I had at the doctor's office, I was about eight years old, another negative Nelly. And she was just telling me, oh, Tylea will never walk, she'll never talk, talk, she'll never do anything. And I'm like, hi, how are you, doctor such and such? Yes, my therapist told me a lot about you. She looks at me and my mom and my mom just takes me and we walk right out the doctor's office, and my mom's like, "I love how you handled that situation." Because my mom, she's been there for me throughout my hard journey, and she had me very. And we were by ourselves for for a while. I have an amazing stepdad who came into my life when I was five years old, and he took on the role. But since then, they've been an awesome team. And at every doctor's appointment, that that I went to when I was little, I learned from them. That's amazing. It sounds like you have a really great support system. Yes, I do.
0: That's awesome. If only everybody could be so lucky, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and having a support system when it comes to cerebral palsy is so important. Mm. And I've seen I've get I've gotten so many messages where adults were like, my parents used to always believe what the doctors say, and that's unfortunate because the parents let like the stigmas continue. Yeah, I, you know
0: I, I think it's probably hard for parents to like balance that, but yeah, I think that you're right. It would it would definitely increase stigma if parents aren't really on board with
1: how well their child can function, right? Exactly. I just, I just feel like there were, there were like, if it weren't for my parents teaching me to be positive and, and to never let anybody define me based on my disability, I wouldn't be the person I am today. That makes so much sense. So I give them a lot of credit.
0: Um, what are, what are some of the treatments, um, and ways that you found help with some of like your physical challenges?
1: Um, my physical challenge is going to physical therapy. Going to physical therapy as a ch- child every week for two hours a week was beneficial. Um, taking CBD oil beneficial, oh. and you know, just doing exercises every day. Um, but unfortunately, once I turned 21, physical therapy kind of stopped because, you know insurance and labor laws and rules that insurance doesn't want to pay out for adults because they think cerebral palsy magically goes away when you're an adult that's another stigma most common childhood condition so they don't believe that it's long lasting so now as an adult you have to fight harder for the benefits you got automatically when you were a child it it doesn't make sense to me there's like a lot of broken cracks in the system for adults with cp yeah, it sounds like I didn't
0: realize that it would would be that difficult. Um, so obviously there's like really big
1: institutional changes that need to happen. It is that. It is extreme. Like when I was a kid, I used to get two hours of therapy twice a week. Now I only get six sessions a year for 30 minutes. Wow. That's a huge difference. Mind blow. Now I- And then now I have to find different ways. Luckily I live in Florida and I can do aqua therapy, but you know, when it's cold out, you really can't jump in a pool. Yeah, that's fair. So during the winter time, I'm missing out. Right. Yeah, that's
0: that's really difficult. And it'd be great if if insurance companies understood that a lot better. Um,
1: Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that need to be, that need to be done. And this is exactly why I advocate. Yeah, it makes so much sense.
0: Um, Can you tell us a bit about like your mental health? Um, Because you're a very positive person and I, and you know, you you have inspirational quotes and you just come off as a very positive vibe, which I love. And I know you said you you attribute that to your, your mom and stepdad. Um, But has your mental health been
1: ever affected by, by having CP? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can, I can take you back to when I was 15 years old. I went through a lot that year with trying, trying to find myself going through high school, getting bullied by the staff members of the school, losing my best friend to cancer. Oh. And then that's when the when person got introduced to me. That's when I started getting anxiety, anxiousness, started feeling trapped in my body, but I overcame that by publishing my first book at 16 years old. That's a uh, James Ticking Time Bomb. As So, yeah, depression has always, like, been there ever since. At twenty I started stomping on CP. It was about four years old at this point, and... Uh, i had everything going for myself everything seemed fine I? I just, just broke uh, had a relationship I was supposed to be getting married and he left oh so yeah i went through that and i just that's what the therapy mm-hmm. and naturally diagnosed me with anxiety depression and then also going to the therapy again because i started I, Having this, I figured out, uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD, uh, uh, recently in process too. Wow.
0: Yeah. So, so big toll, obviously lots lot of stuff happened. Um, but you've, you're, I mean, like I said, you, you seem to be positive now and, and that's uh, positive is probably helpful for you. Right?
1: Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Like I've been told you're overly positive. And I'm like, I need to be because there's a lot in negativity going on in the world. And I don't want to get into what's going on in the world. But me and you both know. And if I could be the if I could be the person that saved somebody's life or helped somebody get through it. Great. I feel like if it wasn't for me having writing and platform i probably would have just gave up a long time ago so that's what keeps me going helping other people yeah define the odds i love that i
0: i totally relate i think writing is so helpful and, and anytime you can help even just one other
1: person right you've done a great job yeah that's all that matters to me i don't care about the likes i don't care about getting famous as long as i can help that one person say it was, because of, it was because of your story, I didn't commit suicide or I didn't give up, then I'm happy, you know? Yeah,
0: totally, I totally feel that. Um, I know that accessibility is really important and it's often overlooked. Um, so like to, to give you an example, I worked at Best Buy for a very long time. And one of the things that I always kind of put myself in charge of was, and was very conscientious of, was making sure, that the aisles the, between the displays were wide enough for a wheelchair to go through so in Canada there's a, a bylaw that has to be and gets at least three feet on each side um and you know so I, oh, I would take tape measure and go around
1: <laughs> thank you so much for that
0: yeah um but it's interesting because a lot of other people that I worked with didn't even give that consideration um so can you maybe tell us about
1: the importance of
0: accessibility for someone in a wheelchair
1: as accessibility first off accessibility for someone in a wheelchair is very important it's like let me give you an example for able-bodied people listening to this podcast wherever you are it's like somebody taking away a stair in a building and you can't get up there or somebody taking away your legs or your access to society that's how I feel every time I go into a place and they're not ADA compliant hmm so it's very important that we focus on accessibility and the ADA, because without accessibility, we would not be able to get out in the world. As wheelchair users, and I put the time, you know, accessibility is the key to successful for, for a wheelchair user. Wow. Buses, ramps, anything you could think of making street spaces bigger, buildings, Ooh, there's a lot I can get into with this disability and how much we had to fight for that. Mm-hmm. You know, as disability advocates, like back in the 1970s, when uh, the ADA was in pass, the pipeline was in pass, you saw a bunch of disability advocates tie themselves to Greyhound buses. Wow. So we've come a long way with that, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done here. And I hate to tell everybody, but I'm not shutting up until work is done. Exclusive for people like us, because we matter. We're humans. Yeah, totally. Um,
0: What are some things that businesses enough
1: with the enough with the stigma?
0: Yeah, agreed. What are some things that businesses can do just to make sure they are compliant?
1: Well, for one thing, you can make sure your ramp is steep enough. For another thing, you, you should make your business have wider, bigger spaces. And for another thing, don't put the ramp next to the stairs and expect us to just climb the stairs to get to the ramp. Yeah, that makes sense. And and for this is a PSA announcement for drivers. If you're parking... Next to a handicap, don't park too close to the blue line so that the person's van ramp could go down or the person that's handicapped could get out their car. That is a really good point. Yeah, for sure. That annoys me. That annoys me so much as a person with a disability. They see a person with the handicap stickers going in and they don't move their car. It's like, move your car. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, that does happen a lot. And although I have a handicapped accessible van, yet my parents have to lift me. And when somebody parks too close, they have to like figure out another way to lift. Right.
0: That sounds very frustrating.
1: Another thing another thing that happens a lot because my CP doesn't look severe when I'm sitting down in the car because I'm able to like sit in a regular seat. People would assume my mom is parking in the handicapped spot just for pleasure. Like we had this one lady, she called she she called the cops on us because she mm-hmm. thought I was a handicap. So so when the cops came, my mom had to show the cop the wheelchair, and the cop gave the lady a ticket and me a free ice cream cone. Okay, that cop sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, and I'm eight years old at the time, and I'm like, "Does she not see the wheelchair?" Did, like, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean,
1: I know the lady, I know the lady was trying to do the right thing, but she could have acted, or she could have looked at the car and seen that there was a handicap sticker. Like, she...
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Does that happen a lot where people are, like? I don't know. I guess I do find you encounter like ableism a lot.
1: Yeah. People look at me and they're like, you don't look disabled. Like you're not disabled enough part of this. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. I don't look disabled enough to, that doesn't even make sense. Like one time Uh, I went bowling here because they have a bowling league and like the people segregated like the wheelchair kids and put all the wheelchair kids together and assume we could converse. And I couldn't converse because the person wasn't didn't have the same mental capacity as I did. Mm. So they just assumed. And that's that's one thing you see in a lot of like nonprofit events is that they just stick us all together. And they just assume that we're all going to get along because we, we have the same condition or we're all disabled. And that's not the case. Like, I have a mixture of disabled friends and able-bodied friends. Some of them get on my nerves and some of them don't. <laughs> you know, but that's just life. Like, when I tell people I go out to the clubs, this is pre-COVID. They look at me, shouldn't you be in bed by nine? Because I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, oh my gosh that's
0: yeah that is that sounds very frustrating like mean me
1: I I tell them maybe you should be in bed you know
0: <laughs> yeah exactly like yeah it's or
1: people assume my people 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 assume that I'm still like into baby stuff. Like one year, like one year I was doing like this event and the person got me a a Little Mermaid Barbie because they thought that I was like into that stuff. And I was like, I'm 13 now. Like, Mm. They're like, oh, but we thought because you're in a wheelchair, Mm. you would get. I said, I like Ariel, but I don't want to play with it. Get me a Blake Shelton CD, you know? yeah
0: yeah that's I, it, yeah, again I think that all ties into like stigma right because if people rather than just ask they just assume
1: yeah people just assume you know and it's funny because when I was going to school um the majority of my friends I was placed in mainstream and half the day special ed so a lot of my friends and me we would talk about it but then they would call me an old soul because I was listening to uh, Blake Shell and Eric Clapton. I'm not the typical 25-year-old. Like who who do you know that's 25 that listens to Frank Sinatra? And I think me, Blake like, Shelton and <laughs> and Johnny Cash. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so yeah, I and I'm also a bookworm, so yeah.
0: Makes sense, because if you like to write, you typically like to read as well.
1: <laughs> and you're never going to guess what my book selection is. Jane Austen, Tom Sawyer, uh, Moby Dick, and a bunch of other old. Nice. The okay. only modern day author I like is, Nicol- is Nicholas Sparks, but he kind of disappointed me with his last book, though.
0: Yeah, that's I, I love that. I love that you like classic books like classic literature because a lot of people don't even want to read that
1: <laughs> yeah when I you know it's funny because when I was going to when I was going to college I had to, my last and final class I had to take a whole class on old literature and I told I told the professor just give me the exam I don't even have to go through the material because I had all of the books and she's like are you sure Miss Flores this is like the last one for you to graduate, I said, go ahead and give it to me, a hundred percent, and everybody was just like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" And I was the youngest one in her online course at the to- time, wow, so is- they were like, "What is this twenty-five-year-old doing in a class for old people?" <laughs> it's hilarious. And I've also faced a lot of, I've also faced a lot of ableism in college too as well because one of my classmates when I was taking master classes online he put a comment on the page like I, I understand Talia's desire but I don't think she understands how to be a writer because she's disabled. No way I can't believe someone wrote that. And I I, I had to respond I was like sorry you're quite the ignorant. Yeah you're quite the most ignorant person I've ever met. And I'm so happy I came across you because now I get the chance to educate you about me and my disability while we're in this course. I
0: like how you turned, you were able to turn something that's like a negative, which was probably like annoying or hurtful to see that comment. And then you like flipped it into a teaching moment and like made it positive.
1: Yeah, that's what I like to do with everything, and that shut him up for the whole semester. That 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 shut him up. <laughs> I bet. And at the end of the semester, he's like, "I'm very, I'm very impressed." I said, "I hope you learned your, I hope you learned your lesson." He goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "I hope the next time you come across somebody with a disability, you don't judge them based on their diagnosis." Oh. And he had nothing to say. I bet, that's awesome. (laughs) Um,
0: Talia, how are you making the most out of life right now? How
1: am I making the most out of life? I'm writing, I am advocating through Zoom, being on podcast, I am reflecting on this moment. I'm journaling every single day because eventually this is gonna be a part of history with everything going on. And I want people to see what life was like during the pandemic for a disabled person. Cause God forbid there's another one in like two, in 2055, I I want people to follow my advice. That's awesome. That's really, really a great thing to do during this whole experience. And the only, like, there's a lot of negative with the pandemic, but I guess I can say this, I make, um. Being in a wheelchair and being disabled and having to wear a mask looks sexy during the pandemic. So uh, I'm happy that it's shown me a lot of different things about my disability and my situation, but happy that I've learned how to navigate with, with the mask on and stuff.
0: That's great. That is like, that's, I mean, I think that's really
1: important and really inspiring as well. Because yeah, a lot of people are just focusing on the negative side of it. They're like, oh, well, well, I'm in this pandemic. This is horrible. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I said, wait a minute. Focus on the things you can do right now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday because they're gone. Just focus on today and the future and you'll be better off. And turn off the news. Uh. I've. I've never been a fan of the news. And as a kid, I was banned from watching the news because it was too negative. And it's true. If you continue to watch it, the negativity is gonna stay in your head and you're gonna spend 30 minutes thinking, why did I watch? Like when the pandemic first started, I was watching the news every day and I had to shut it off. I was like, I gotta get back to advocacy. I gotta get back to work. This isn't productive
0: yeah yeah i feel that i um i did did the same thing at the beginning of the pandemic like, i watched the news a lot and then as it like and then you're right it was so negative and as we kept going i was like you know what i'm just gonna maybe watch it here and there but not consistently
1: or or read about or re- read about it and that's another thing too cutting off social media can help a person with a disability to put finding things to do within your community and with within outside of social media is great because I notice a lot of the time with disabilities are very consumed with social media. Okay. I mean, social media has gone crazy. And even before the pandemic, years and years and years, social media could be a great thing to connect with people, but it could also be a toxic thing. So limit your social media for those of you with a disability and find other activities to expand your mind and and to be successful because you could be on so, social media all day, but you got to think to yourself, Have I done something positive today? Like during this week, I launched my radio show at Asheville FM, uh, called The Stomping on CP Radio Show. And I'm DJ Ty o- over at Asheville FM. I had my my radio show at a radio station in Virginia at first but that didn't work out and I wanted a space for growth so I'm the actual FM and I've been DJing for them for a few months and I love it so that's another thing I do behind the scenes too that is so cool
0: um yeah the fact that you can DJ is awesome I always think it's such a skill (laughs)
1: Well, they call it DJing because that's what they call the radio personalities, like DJs. But yeah, all you have to do is pick up a mic and 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 start recording. You yeah. know, uh,
0: very cool. Um, what is one takeaway you want people to have after listening to your story
1: today? The one takeaway I want people to have is, despite the obstacles you face. You should have to keep writing. You have to have control of your pen. Don't let other people take control of your pen. You're your main character. You write your story and you keep on stomping on CP or whatever conditions you may have. That is awesome. I
0: love that message. Um, where can we follow you, find you and follow you on social media?
1: Okay, on Instagram, follow me at stomping On. CP with Tylea. Facebook is stomping on cerebral palsy with Tylea. And Twitter is stomping on CP01. And my website is www.tyleaflores.com. Amazing. So lots of ways people can connect with you. Yeah,
0: I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, Tylea, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I learned a lot um, and you're definitely very
1: inspirational and I love your advocacy. So thank you. Thank you so much. And be sure to follow me on Facebook if you haven't done so. You bet. I will. All right. And to all of my listeners, thank you for tuning
0: in and keep on making the most of it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Chronically Living Podcast. If you love this week's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next week, stay strong.